Hello, and welcome to our virtual celebration of the anniversary of the Relief Society. In case you're not familiar with this organization, it is the Women's Organization for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was formed on March 17, 1842, in the upper room of Joseph Smith's store in Nauvoo, Illinois. On that day, just 20 women were present, and now there are millions of members worldwide. The mission of the organization is charity, and as the organization grew, the mission grew to include an increased commitment to faith and to learning more about the gospel. This year marks the 179th anniversary, and we welcome you to join in our virtual celebration. Hi, my name is Michelle Kimball, and I'm from the Laguna Beach Ward. And I hope in sharing my experience today that you will be able to feel the love of our Heavenly Father and know that He knows you as an individual. As a teenager, my definition of faith was believing in something I couldn't see. It also meant being able to feel the spirit of our Heavenly Father. Before I left for college, um, during my last interview with my bishop, he asked me an interesting question. He said to me, Michelle, just how often do you pray to our Heavenly Father? At the time, I thought it was kind of an odd question. He knew that I had a strong testimony of Jesus Christ and that I was living the gospel. He then went on to tell me that as we mature and move through life, that we do experience some challenges. He encouraged me to not only pray daily, but more often and said, the closer we are to our Heavenly Father, the easier it is to have faith in Him and to fill His Spirit. The teenager, I did not realize the overwhelming joys and disappointments that I would feel in my life, but neither could I have imagined all the tender mercies and gifts that our Heavenly Father would bless me with. I have experienced sorrow and pain in my personal and in my professional life. I have watched those around me endure extremely difficult circumstances. One night stands out as particularly difficult in my mind. As many of you know, when my daughter Lauren was nine years old, she began to lose her hair. Lauren's hair loss was accompanied by large cysts that began to grow behind her ears. This was an overwhelming concern at the time, as when Lauren was a toddler, she had had a non-malignant tumor removed from her skull. We went to several specialists who ran several tests, and by the end of that year, I think Lauren had given about 50 vials of blood out of her little body. After months of tests and hiding the hairbrush every time I brushed her hair, it became evident that she would lose all of her hair. One night, I crawled up on the top of her bunk bed to help her go to sleep. At that time, she was taking prednisone, which made it particularly difficult for her body to relax at night. As I was rubbing Lauren's back, she asked me, Mom, why in the world would God choose me to have this happen to? I'm scared and I don't understand why this is happening. I quickly responded to Lauren and told her that God doesn't choose for us to endure difficult challenges. I reassured her that our Heavenly Father would be 
there with her every step of the way. I don't remember Lauren responding. I actually don't remember her saying anything. I do remember quietly sobbing as I rubbed her back until she fell asleep last night. That night, I think I did a pretty good job at convincing her and myself that everything was going to be okay. From lessons I had learned throughout my life and faith in Jesus Christ, I knew that our Heavenly Father would bless us in many ways. Over the next three years though, my faith was definitely tested. We tried several different treatments and Lauren, and I watched as Lauren endured her own unique challenges. Some days were definitely easier than others. Some days we laughed, some days we cried, and some days we were really angry. We did always have fun wig shopping. And that meant that we got to spend a lot of time together, which ended up being a really sweet thing. At that time, I was also serving as the primary president, and that was such a blessing in my life. Every Sunday I got to go and teach those sweet spirits. Um, children are so full of unconditional love, and they loved every inch of Lauren. And they also had a lot of fun passing and trying around on her wig every week. As Lauren grew and those three years passed, we met, witnessed so many miracles that left no doubt in my mind that our Heavenly Father knows us and loves us as individuals. About three months after Lauren started losing her hair, we had a neighbor move in next door to us. She was a beautiful woman who was married with two darling girls. Um, she was a su successful professional and she just happened to have alopecia universalis, which she sent us to many doctors. I think she knew before we did that that was Lauren's diagnosis. And because of her, we were able to finally get a diagnosis for Lauren, but also um, be in the presence of the best doctors. Um, only one in 4,000 people are ever diagnosed um, with this autoimmune disease. So we felt strength in having Kirsten around us. She had developed alopecia universalis at the exact same time that Lauren was originally diagnosed. She is one of the most beautiful souls I have ever met, and she was definitely a gift from our Heavenly Father. Lauren received a few other gifts along the way, and some great advice from a very wise doctor who just happened to move into our ward at the time. I know that you have, some of you have experienced challenges, challenges that you will continue to endure throughout mortality. And I know that everyone's story doesn't always have a happy ending, but with the knowledge of atonement, and faith in Jesus Christ, he can help us feel God's tender mercies. To those of you struggling, please reach out and let others share your burden. 
This is our calling as ministers of Jesus Christ, to help strengthen and love one another. As we serve one another in our callings and administer to one another, we can understand one another's burdens and understand others' unique challenges. The Savior's greatest gift was his ability to love and to serve others. May we share his gift as we love and serve with our faith in Jesus Christ. I say these things in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This recent women's session of General Conference, our beloved prophet, President Nelson, shared an address which he titled, Embracing the Future with Faith. What a loving and inspired message to share with the women of our church. With a society full of unknowns, uncertainty, and fear and anxiety of moving forward, President Nelson implores us to embrace the future with faith. One quote that I love from this talk is that he says, faith is the antidote to fear. I love this message, and I've truly seen how this has applied to my life. Once graduating from BYU, I graduated with a degree in ballet, which I had studied my whole life. I had decided to pursue a professional dance career. I auditioned for a professional company in San Diego, and I was thrilled to find out I had received a trainee contract. After reading into the contract, I discovered that I would have several rehearsals and performances on Sundays. My heart sank. I had decided for myself that keeping the Sabbath day holy meant to not dance on Sunday. This was a personal choice and I felt that I would it would retract from the spirit that I felt on this holy day. I was scared. I was frightened. I didn't know what would come next, but I decided to turn the contract down. I knew that if I relied on the Lord, he would provide a way for me to find happiness and find a career that I also enjoyed. And he definitely did that. I found many experiences that I would not have found without relying on him and being blessed to follow in his footsteps. I know that faith can guide our footsteps and I know that relying on Christ is the true pathway back to our Heavenly Father. I'm so grateful for the Relay Society that is full of many wonderful, loving, and friendly women that can help and support us along our journey. I love that I can be there for them and help them find faith in every footstep too. A few years ago at girls camp, I was in a skit where we got to dress up as superheroes using the young women values as our superpowers. I was faith. And although it sounds silly, Faith really is a superpower. Faith in our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ give us the ability to do things we couldn't normally do. It gives us courage and strength and empowers us to act on God's will. We hear the phrase, faith in every footstep, and we picture our ancestors walking across the plains on their way to Utah. And they were a great example and they had a lot of faith. But that's also about us. We have to take faith in every footstep. Faith was a superpower for my friend Jane. She was an alcoholic and she was taking the missionary lessons and thought she should quit because she didn't think there was any hope for her. But she kept going and eventually wanted to be baptized so badly that she had the faith to meet with the bishop. And her and the bishop had the faith to give her a blessing. 
And then she had the faith to go home and throw out all the alcohol in her house. And by a miracle wrought by faith, she stopped drinking and was baptized. It was really a wonderful thing, and she was a great example to all of us in overcoming such a huge obstacle. This is one of the many miracles that have happened because of faith. By faith, we take one step forward, even when we're not sure of how things are going to turn out. And I've never liked that. I like to see ahead. I want to see ahead a couple steps or around the corner. But that's usually not how it works out. So Elder Uchtdorf gave a great flying analogy. He said that sometimes when he's flying, there's thick clouds or fog that prevent him from seeing more than just a few feet in front of him. He said that he has to rely on instruments and the voice of the air traffic controller. He has to follow the guidance of someone who can see more accurately than he can. Someone he can't see, but he's learned to trust. And that's a perfect example of faith because faith is trust in God above and Christ who showed the way, just like the primary song. Um, unfortunately, we need hard times to be able to really make our faith grow. And we'll all go through hard times where we have to turn to God to get through them. And as we take each step with faith and turn to God and learn to trust him and let him guide us, we can be successful in all of our difficulties and obstacles of life. And I say these things in Jesus Christ's name, amen.
months ago, I participated in a Come Follow Me discussion with my sister and her family via Zoom. And we were talking about the prophet Ether and what incredible faith he had. His people were on the verge of being destroyed because of their great wickedness. It was a very dangerous time to be a prophet. They had just cast him out from among them. And yet the Book of Mormon tells us that he began to prophesy unto the people for he could not be restrained because of the spirit of the Lord, which was in him. For he did cry from the morning, even until the going down of the sun, exhorting the people to believe in God unto repentance, lest they should be destroyed. My sister observed that Ether had a redwood tree of faith growing inside him, that redwood trees grow from tiny, tiny seeds, but become the largest tallest trees in the world. I've been thinking a lot about that ever since. Over the years, I've felt that redwood tree of faith growing inside of me. I'm not claiming to be like the prophet either. I'm far from perfect. I take great comfort from Elder Uchtdorf's teaching that discipleship is not about doing things perfectly. It's about doing things intentionally. And I'm still not perfect at that. But I have felt the joy of faith growing inside of me. It's a gift from God. Like the primary song says, faith is like a little seed. If planted, it will grow. Heavenly Father is so merciful. As I've tried to plant the seed of faith he has given me, he has reached out to me in continual mercy with everything I need to make it grow. He blesses me to feel his great love for me, which leads me to try to draw closer to him by doing the small and simple things the gospel teaches us to do, which helps me to be able to hear him. He teaches me to learn of Jesus Christ and to have faith in him. And as I've tried to learn of the Savior and exercise faith in him, I have felt the joy of repentance and forgiveness, the joy of hope and trusting in the Lord, the joy of a changing heart, the joy of peace, and the joy of love. And over time, it has helped me feel that redwood tree of faith growing inside of me, faith in Jesus Christ. And that brings me great joy. It reminds me of the prophet Alma's invitation to experiment upon the word and also what the Savior taught. He said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Last week, I had the chance to teach the primary children of the Aliso Niguel Ward. As we began the lesson, I invited the children to share something they had learned either at home or in primary that week that they believed was true. One little girl said she learned that following Jesus brings us joy. Another little girl said she learned that when we make mistakes, we can pray to make it better. And finally, a brand new little sunbeam girl shyly raised her hand and quietly said, I learned that Jesus is true. I've also learned for myself that Jesus is true. And that brings me great joy. He said, I am Messiah, the King of Zion, the rock of heaven, which is broad as eternity. Whoso cometh in at the gate and climbeth up by me shall never fall. Wherefore, blessed are they of whom I have spoken, for they shall come forth with songs of everlasting joy. I know his words are true, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota. It was a very small town and the church was very small. We had a branch of about 15 people. Occasionally it would get up to maybe 20, 25, but that was what I grew up with. There was no primary, there was no young women's and young men, and there was no seminary. Uh, the four of us, my siblings, we sat in dad's gospel doctrine class and lots of times at those ages didn't know exactly what he was talking about. Anyway, it wasn't until after I was married uh, when I became involved in Relief Society and realized that I was learning things. Relief Society was picking up and helping me with areas that I had not been involved in growing up. Lessons every week, and I think they meant more to me than when I was younger. Um, also, a lot of service and visiting teaching and getting to know the sisters. Um, it, it really helped me grow and took a step in the right direction. This morning I would like to read um, part of a talk that I gave when we were on our mission in New York. So let me just share a portion of this. An elder came into our mission about four months ago. He had never been away from home for longer than a week. He had not flown on an airplane. All of a sudden, he found himself here in New York in the company of 10 missionaries. The first night when they arrived, we have them bear their testimonies. When it was this elder's turn, he said, I know I'm supposed to be here. That is what I should be doing right now, but I am scared to death. Many missionaries are probably feeling the same way, but they don't actually come out and say it. I wondered how he would get along. As we went around for interviews each month, I would watch for him. He seemed to get a little more comfortable. He was a quiet, rather serious young man. Then last month at Zone Conference, he stood to bear his testimony. He said he had learned that faith is power, and the opposite of faith is doubt. He proceeded to tell how powerful we can be if we have faith. He told of his own developing faith and how he had learned to cope as he became more involved in the Lord's work. He spoke with strength and assurity. Everyone was listening. It was obvious this elder had grown in knowledge and stature in the last four months because he had totally relied on the Lord. He had nowhere else to go. His parents were far from him. He chose to be obedient, studied, prayed, and was beginning to learn. His testimony was the most powerful that day. I share this because many of us think our faith is not that strong. As you serve in Relief Society, you will find that with each step you take, as you minister to sisters, <clears throat> take a meal in, volunteer, to drive a sister to an appointment, uh, meet somebody's needs, teach a lesson, that you will surely and slowly increase in wisdom and faith. As you get older like I am, you will find that every calling 
you have ever had in your life has helped you every step of the way with your families, friends, or when you are in need of comfort and guidance. Faith is action. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Dear sisters, I am honored and humbled to participate in this celebration of the founding of the Relief Society. There is no organization on earth that better applies the Savior's two great commandments. You are the best ministers, the best leaders, and the best comforters. Joseph Smith said that the organization of the Church of Christ was never perfect until the women were organized. And President Spencer W. Campbell prophesied that in the last days, the good women of the world will be drawn to the church in large numbers due to the way that you reflect righteousness and articulateness in your lives. And as we celebrate the founding of the Relief Society, I have reflected on how the organization came to be. Because as with so many aspects of the Restoration, the Relief Society was not created out of thin air. It began in Nauvoo with a woman named Margaret Cook, who worked as a seamstress for another woman named Sarah Kimball. Uh, the two sisters were both early members of the church, um, and they watched the men working on the construction of the Nauvoo Temple and wanted to help. Margaret was single, and Sarah had married a non-member, and so neither of them had a husband working on the temple. Margaret noticed that many of the men working didn't have adequate clothing. And so she suggested to Sarah that they work together to provide new shirts for the workers. Sarah purchased the materials and Margaret did the sewing. And Sarah started inviting others to help and it started to grow into a group. So they enlisted Eliza R. Snow to draft a constitution for the organization. Eliza showed Joseph the draft of what she had written and listened carefully to how Joseph responded to Eliza's draft. He said it was the best constitution of its kind, but this is not what you want. Tell the sisters their offering is accepted of the Lord, and he has something better for them. He asked to meet with them in a few days and said, I will organize the women under the priesthood, after the pattern of the priesthood. I now have the key by which I can do it. And that's what he did. On March 17th, 1842, these amazing women and several others gathered together in order to be set apart as a presidency. Emma Smith is the president, uh, with Sarah Cleveland and Ann Whitney as her counselors. And with that setting apart, they were the first women in this dispensation given priesthood authority to lead. Their first order of business was to come up with a name for the organization. The two options were Relief Society and Benevolent Society. Eliza liked benevolent. She said that relief implied an extraordinary response to a, a great calamity. But she thought they were going to fo focus more on the more mundane problems of everyday life. But Emma was not about to limit the vision of this fledgling group. She said, we are going to do something extraordinary. When a boat is stuck on the rapids with a multitude of Mormons on board, we, can, we shall consider that a loud call for relief. We, we expect extraordinary occasions and pressing calls. And over its 179-year history, that is what the Relief Society has done. It led the national movement for suffrage in this country, with the first women in the history of the United States voting in the state of Utah. The Women's Exponent, founded by Louisa Lula Green, was one of the first newspapers in the country written and published by women. In the early years of the church, Relief Society leaders traveled from Salt Lake City to New York and Chicago to be trained in medicine and social work, and they returned to Utah to build the social safety network and the church's welfare program. 
the first hospital in the country run by an all-female board of directors was Deseret Hospital in Salt Lake City. Today, the Relief Society Young Women and Primary General Presidents serve with apostles on the most important councils in the church. They counsel together with the brethren and together seek revelation on behalf of the church. And I hope you listen and watch the way that President Russell M. Nelson talks about and treats the women in his life. This week, I came across his October 2015 General Conference talk. So a few years before he was called as the prophet. Listen to what he said. Quote, My dear sisters, whatever your calling, whatever your circumstances, we need your impressions, your insights, and your inspiration. We need you to speak up and speak out in ward and state councils. We need each married sister to speak as a contributing and full partner as you unite with your husband in governing your family. Married or single, you sisters possessed distinctive capabilities and special intuition you have received as gifts from God. We brethren cannot duplicate your unique influence. And finally, I am amazed and inspired at the sisters who lead in this stake. Our ward councils and on our state council, you lead and you inspire. You are as responsible as anyone else for the revelation that directs the work in this stake. And I am beyond grateful to serve with you. I hope when you look at your role in the church, in your families, and in your communities, that you will remember Joseph's message to Eliza. Through your church callings and your temple covenants, the Lord has given you priesthood authority to lead, teach, and inspire. And he wants and expects you to use it. I bear testimony that the Lord loves you. He loves you as you are today. He loves you in all of your imperfections and your weaknesses, and he wants you to love yourself. I bear testimony that this is the Lord's restored church, brought forth to prepare us to return and live with him. As we continue to serve in our families and in the church, we will be changed by that service in a way that will prepare and qualify us for that eternal blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.